Now reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. This from the Common English Bible. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel. Listen, our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The legal expert said to him, well said, teacher. You have truthfully said that God is one and there is no other beside him. And to love God with all the heart, a full understanding, and all of one's strengths, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. Here ends a reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. On October the 31st, 1517 of the Common Era, small-town Roman Catholic priest Martin Luther marched up to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed his famous 95 theses to its door, calling for reform among his beloved Catholic traditionalists. His 95 theses sound a lot alike if you read them over and over, and some of them are maybe difficult to understand because of the way they arranged their words around that era, but they were largely centered upon three main ideas for the ways he believed his church had drifted from its proper foundations. One, salvation he thought should be experienced by faith alone to the Bible and not the church is the foundation for authority in the Christian life. And three, that every member of the church has valuable gifts to offer the church and the world and should be encouraged to do so. The fancy way of, that last, of saying that last part is the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Though he did not intend to do so, after this time John Calvin and others would later lead the founding of new Christian denominations, and thus the Protestant side of the Christian family tree was born, and folks have had plenty of critiques <laughs> to offer the church with a capital C all along the way ever since. Some of them rightly so. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. I found that fascinating since today is Halloween. Here's my costume. Robert Louis Stevenson once entered in his diary, I have been to church today and I, shockingly, am not depressed. Of course, Gandhi was famous for saying, I like your Christ. It is Christians I have a problem with. And Shane Claiborne, much more recently, said it well. Over the years, Christianity has lost its fascination because it looks less and less like Jesus. Jesus is rather clear about the impression he wants his followers to make in this world. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus was questioned about the supreme commandment of faith, he replied, we read it 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. You notice the key and repeated word is love. And I don't have time to parse this out for you and give you a Greek lesson that it would take to understand this. Uh, but I don't want to, on the other hand, get by all of this either. The, the word and the way love is used here in what we have come to call the greatest commandment is not about a feeling. It is about equality. It's not a feeling that is immeasurable. It's not a sentiment. The entire premise of love, the way it's used here in the greatest commandment, because of the root for this word in Greek language, and even the way that we can see that it is used here in English, is relational, action-based, and centered upon equality in how love is offered and given. And you cannot love God unless you love your neighbor, and you cannot love either one God or neighbor unless one loves themselves. And so the as shows the level of equality we are to show our neighbors. And the three loves, God, neighbor, and self, cannot be separated. Modern Christians seem to be prone to do this, but our Jewish ancestors understood this a bit better, I think, than many modern Christians, it seems. It would have been a foreign thought for most Jewish folks to have thought or said, I love God, but I'm still working on the neighbor part. Or to say, I love my neighbor, but I'm working on the self and God part. Why? Because they knew they're all connected, that they're all equally as important. They're all tied, inseparably bound to one another. What was most important to Jesus had nothing to do with theology or biblical interpretation or specific rules to follow. It had everything to do with how well his followers love, namely, how well we are willing to work for our neighbor's equality and dignity in this thing we call life. I believe that's what Jesus had in mind when he commanded, let your light shine in Matthew's gospel before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Imagine if every Christian in this world that's somewhere around 2.2 billion people over 30% of the world's population are self-professing Christians. Imagine if 30% of the world's population got up every day and they thought about these verses and they said, you know, today I'm going to love. Today I'm going to let my love light shine. Today everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is going to reflect the greatest commandment. I may not agree with everything my annoying neighbor does, but I know that my humanity is bound up in their humanity, and so I am going to recommit myself every day when my head gets up off the pillow to make sure and work so that their humanity is cherished and celebrated just as equally as mine. Can you imagine what kind of a world we would live in? I think it would look more than just a little different. Unfortunately, many Christians have mistaken idea of what love is. Love for many Christians, I think, at least judging by the way things seem to work, just means that if you disagree with your neighbor, 
Well, the loving thing to do is keep your mouth shut in their presence and then go back to whatever you're doing when that annoying neighbor leaves the room at best or at worst, talk about them in private. Bless their heart. This is not love. This is not working for your neighbor's personhood or equality. Here's the thing. Not all ideas are equal. Have you noticed that? Not all ideas are true or are good or are loving. Some ideas are quite good. Some ideas are quite bad and even, yes, evil. Human beings have all sorts of good and bad ideas about life, about God, about love, about, you know, you fill in the blank. Politics, you know, ideologies. Not all ideas are equal. Some of them are wonderful and some of them are quite terrible. But here's the thing, all human beings are equal and should be cherished as such regardless of how far out, terrible, evil, or good their ideas are. Now that is tough. Loving our neighbors has everything to do with their humanity and zero to do with their religious preferences, their gender or sexual expressions, what side of what border they happen to have been born on, the color of their skin, who they voted for, their age, their physical abilities, their lack thereof, their favorite teams, or, or any other way that we can dream up that, you know, human beings divide ourselves. Loving God and loving neighbor as myself are all annoyingly tied together. It's tough. Remember when I told you a moment ago that the word love and this greatest commandment is tied to working for one another's equality and not a sentiment or feeling? You remember that? I'm, I want you not to forget that. A woman by the name of Dorothy Day summarized it far better than I could ever do when she spoke these words which have been etched on in my heart ever since the first time I heard them. Dorothy Day, she said, I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. Oh, I wish she had not said those words. I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. Now, that's not a flattering picture of us, is it? We don't have to have silly, sentimental, goosebumpy feelings about the person we love the least. That, that, that part is true. We don't even have to pretend to like their stinky ideas. But if we want to love God in ourselves more than we do today, more than we do at this moment, we will find a way to love that least favorite neighbor's humanity and to work for a world in which their humanity is celebrated just as much as our own, or we will be the ones who suffer. Not them. It doesn't work that way. This is not what most of us want to hear. But I believe it with all of my heart that this is the center of the gospel of love. And this is the snag. This is the albatross. This holds most of us back and is weighing most of us down. But believe it or not, preaching this kind of love, it often gets people mad at me. Are you surprised? Really? I'm not kidding. I'm not going to say how long ago. It wasn't that many years ago. 
a person, they reached out and said they wanted to meet me. And I'll say, at least I got a cup of coffee out of the deal. They bought the cup of coffee for me and, and then proceeded to say, I, I have problems with your sermons. That's always a good way to start. Goody. I said, okay, what's that? He said, you preach on love too much. I replied, before we go any further, I want to suggest that you never repeat that out loud. Other people might not give you the benefit of the doubt, like I'm going to do my best to. Uh, my reply didn't go over well. But he was not deterred. He continued, you preach on love too much, and if you're going to talk about love, it would just go over a lot better with some of us if you would just be generic about it. Don't tell us who our neighbors are. Let us use our imaginations. And then loving our neighbors won't be so hard, and it will just sound happier and feel better when we go to church. And I responded, well, let's think about that for a minute. Hmm, the heroes of Jesus' parables and his stories and the recipients of healing in those stories and his ministry were always the ones that went unnamed by the rest of society, but he was perfectly willing to name in fact, he ate in their homes. He did more than name them. And when he gave the Beatitudes, he was naming very specific neighbors and groups of people who would be blessed and those who would suffer. He was naming them. He was naming their actions. And he, he told this little parable you might remember called the Good Samaritan. And the fact that the Samaritan was the hero and that the whole point he ended the story with was this nagging question, and who is my neighbor? Well, naming our neighbors and who we're to love, I said, is, is kind of the first step. It's a pretty big deal. So if it's all the same to you, I'll just keep naming the neighbor's because I think that's what Jesus did, and that's who Jesus calls us to love. And I'd like to tell you that that gentleman had a change of heart. I'm not sure. But you know something? I do give him lots of credit for talking to me personally about these struggles. It's far more than most would invest in a struggle to love their neighbors. So, it's me again. The scripture from the Revised Common Lectionary is about loving God and self and, and neighbor. And so I'm here to remind you to love your vaccinated neighbor, and love your unvaccinated neighbor, to love your Republican neighbor, your Democrat neighbor, your conservative or your liberal neighbor, to love your documented or undocumented neighbor, to love your male or female or non-binary neighbors, to love your poor and your rich neighbor, to love your, yes, even your Baptist neighbor and your Methodist neighbor and your Catholic neighbor and your New Age weirdo neighbor and your atheist neighbor, love your Muslim and your Hindu and your Jewish and your Sikh neighbors and love your black neighbors and your brown neighbors and, yeah, even those annoying white neighbors and those Euro, Latin, Northern, Southern neighbors. I love them all. And it might serve us all well to fill in the blank a little bit this afternoon because sometimes the neighbors I have trouble loving are different than the neighbors you have trouble loving. And by love, I don't mean be nice. That's not the greatest commandment. Remember, love them as yourself. Love means working for their equality as a human being, not their dumb ideas or the way they go about life. You do this, 
You love them as a human being and you find a way to work for their equality and receiving and giving of love in this world and you'll be the one who's set free in the process. Surprise! That's how it works. You do this and God's love and God's light will truly shine through you and my, you'll be the one who's twice blessed. The late Aretha Franklin understood the attractiveness of God's light and love, I think. She once said, when God loves you, what can be better than that? You know, I think she was right there. There's nothing better than that. But there are a lot of people who don't know that love, who don't know that they are loved because they express their lives or their love differently. This is a cold and dark world filled with people who are desperate for love and for light, and many are wondering if the violence and evil that we see around us is all there is. Are you letting your love and your light shine, or have you been confused into thinking you have to like all your neighbor's ideas before you can love their humanity? This beat-up world is watching and wondering if our faith is genuine or if we just talk a good game. Why should they bother with us? They don't expect us to be perfect, I have found, but they do expect to see people of faith show some kind of evidence that love is real, that it matters. And how can they know unless we show the love we profess Either we believe love is the help and the hope of the world, or we don't. Either we believe that this love, when it shines through us, is the light of the world, or we don't. Either we work to love our neighbors as equals, or our own humanity, humanity begins to rot on the vine. We will be the ones to begin to diminish our own humanity when we do not embrace the humanity of others equally. We will begin to diminish our love of God as well because we cannot love God without loving our neighbors. When Cherie and I got married, <clears throat> can't believe it now, nearly 27 years ago. Yes, I was five and she was 20. I'm kidding. We were both music majors in college and our wedding ceremony because of that and our love for music had some pretty incredible music. I could show you if we had a VHS player. <laughs> My trumpet professor and several trumpet major buddies, they came and drove six hours from where college was, and they played some of the most beautiful music. And, I, and just as Cherie appeared at the back door of the sanctuary, my trumpet professor, Willie Strider, launched in on his piccolo trumpet into the Albison fanfare. You may not know that title, but if you've ever watched CBS News on Sunday mornings, it's that fast, flourishing trumpet fanfare that they play right before each show. Why do they do that? And why did we want that at the wedding? Because it will absolutely draw your attention to the fact that the show is officially beginning now. When Cherie got to the back door, it was time to begin. It certainly worked at our wedding. Everyone quickly noticed how beautiful she was, and they sprang to their feet. Here's my point. 
Fanfares work fabulously for weddings and even the beginnings of important TV shows to grab our attention. But for loving our neighbors, for doing the right thing, for living out our faith, well, as Jesus said in another gospel, don't blow your trumpets to get attention from people when you're going to do something to show your love for them. You know what I think will transform us and also the world? When we love others firmly and fervently and wholeheartedly, but we do so without fanfare. In the quiet, normal, everyday activities of our lives, so many of us who follow Jesus do it with lots of noise. You know, we're against this. We're for this. We've got opinions. Hear me roar. But soon we become known by our opinions and not by our love. Love is the whole point. Jesus never said, by your opinions, they will know you are my disciples. Nor did he say, by your perfect theology, the world will know you are my disciples. You fill in the blanks. Take your pick and put in that verse whatever it is you think is super impressive. But if it's not love, it's not worth being known for. And it's certainly not capable of transforming the world. This is the problem. If we go around loving our neighbors with fanfares, these loud, brassy formalities, you know, for show. Our pride, other people's feelings, people's perceptions of Christians are all on the line. Our fanfares only get in the way people can smell a phony. We're foolish when we think fanfares fix it. Jesus never made a fuss about when it was time to love a neighbor. Jesus hardly ever talked to anyone about what he had done or the way he had loved those neighbors who everyone else ignored. He just did it. And all that mattered to him was that God knew it and that these people were helped. When we lose the desire for fanfare, we won't get confused about what our purpose is. All that's left is love. We don't forget that it is God who is working through us when we stay quiet and when we're able to focus about doing the right thing for the right reason without all the fanfare. All our energy is channeled into doing these great things for God and loving the world like crazy. And we don't actually set out to love God or neighbor for this reason sometimes when we're waiting on the fanfare. But when we do things faithfully and when we do things quietly and when we do things fervently and we do things even that are difficult when it comes to loving someone else, Something miraculous happens. Time and time again, I've seen it personally, and I've seen it amongst my church families I've been a part of, that when we begin to love our neighbor as ourselves, not only are we loving them and loving God, but we're truly learning how to love ourselves. And all of that comes together. And in the process, we're all set free. We're set free from the hatred of our neighbor's most annoying tendencies. We're set free from the need to get something in return for loving God or our neighbor and our humanity. And that humanity of our neighbor is set free when the love of God is allowed to equally flow from one to the other. We don't need fanfares to distract or announce these loving actions. What we need are sincere, quiet, stubborn lovers of God and people. 
and the magnification, the celebration, the embracing of one another's full humanity is all the reward we need because we are loving God. We're loving our neighbor. We're loving ourselves when we get this right. And here in this place of love, we will want for nothing. So let's lose the need to wait for the fanfare, you know, for the trumpets to blow, for our best side to be facing the camera, and let's just go out and share the light and love of God. When we serve without fanfare, people won't be distracted by the noise. They'll be impacted by our sincerity. So to throw a couple cliches in here that no one is really sure who said first, be the change you want to see in the world. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me if you prefer. Let's lose the fanfare and embrace love more tightly. The kind of love that works to amplify, to magnify, to celebrate the humanity of all our neighbors, especially the ones that are hard to love. And in so doing, our love of God and self will only flourish. Thanks be to God. Amen.